Morning. Morning. How's everybody doing today? Yeah? Well, just a quick reminder, we do have our uh, $1 car wash going on, right? You know, about 1 o'clock, I think. So I will tell you, you have been very generous with your uh, $1 bills. And if we do enough cars to use up all of the $1 bills, we are going to be very tired. <laughs> so it would be a great thing if we actually could do that. All right, I want to direct your attention to the screen. After being cut from his high school basketball team, he went home, locked himself in his room, and cried. He wasn't able to speak until he was almost four years old, and his teachers said he would never amount to much. Was demoted from her job as a news anchor because she wasn't fit for television. Fired from a newspaper for lacking imagination and having no original ideas. At age 11, he was cut from his team after being diagnosed with a growth hormone deficiency, which made him smaller in stature than most kids his age. At 30 years old, he was left devastated and depressed after being unceremoniously removed from the company he started. A high school dropout whose personal struggles with drugs and poverty culminated in an unsuccessful suicide attempt. A teacher told him he was too stupid to learn anything and that he should go into a field where he might succeed by virtue of his pleasant personality. Rejected by Decca Recording Studios who said, we don't like their sound, they have no future in show business. His first book was rejected by 27 publishers. His fiancée died, failed in business, had a nervous breakdown and was defeated in eight elections. If you've never failed, You've never tried anything new. I've got a few more that we can add to that list. <clears throat> John Wayne. Before he uh, was a successful actor, he was rejected from the United States Naval Academy. Um, this household name dropped out of high school and applied to attend film school three times but was unsuccessful due to his C grade average. That would be Steven Spielberg. <laughs> His music teacher once told him that he was a hopeless composer. Beethoven. Uh, this gentleman was rejected by the US military and the US Naval Academies due to his poor eyesight. 
At one point, he was a clerk in a newspaper mailroom, worked in a hat store, and also was an usher in a movie theater. And that would be Harry Truman. Uh, his first two businesses didn't work out. But thankfully, Henry Ford tried a third. Um, oh, actually, I have these names all down. Um, Soichiro Honda, who was the founder of Honda Motors, was turned down for an engineering job by Toyota after World War II. <laughs> Bet they're regretting that decision. <laughs> <clears throat> and then Masaru Ibuka and Akio Morita. Uh, these two actually founded Sony, but one of their first products was an electric rice cooker, um, and they only sold about 100 of them because they tended to burn the rice <laughs> rather than cook it. <laughs> So you ask, why are we talking about failure? Well, I think for several reasons. First of all, we typically tend to see failure as the end of something, rather than as a stepping stone to something bigger and better. But that was the case in almost all of the examples that we looked at, right? All of those people failed one or more times, but then kept at things and went on to do something great. I think, secondly, it reminds us that perseverance is a very valuable trait to cultivate. Um, and I mean, just think about how much different this country would be if Abraham Lincoln had abandoned politics, or if Walt Disney had taken his editor's words to heart, or if Henry Ford had stopped at two business failures and not pursued a third. And third, I, I think it's a reminder that everybody fails at something. You know, as the video announcer said at the end, if you've never failed, then you've never tried anything new. Now, before John Wimber was a pastor, and a church planter, and the father of the vineyard movement, he was a church growth consultant that was working out of uh, Fuller Theological Seminary with Peter Wagner. And in that capacity, he visited literally hundreds of churches all across the country. And he would observe their services. He would talk with the staff and the leadership and all that. I mean, his whole focus was to help them grow. And so uh, the story goes that when he went into his first meeting with the leadership of the church, he always asked them this question. What is the business of the church? Now, typically what would happen is the leadership wasn't really sure what he, you know, the answer he was looking for. So they would kind of hem and haw and stumble about this and that. And um, eventually, somebody inevitably would say to make disciples, okay, which is the correct answer and the one that, that John was looking for. So then he had a follow-up question. So how's business? And I do think that if John were standing here today and he asked us that question, I think the only way that we could honestly answer it is not too good. I don't think it would be a stretch to say that to some degree we have failed at the business of the church. Now, before you go too far with that thought, am I saying that Harmony Vineyard Church is a failure? No, I am not. Because there have been a lot of good things happen during 
our seven years as a congregation. We have seen lives changed. We have seen people healed. We have sensed God's presence here numerous times. We've helped people that have been in financial need. We've developed a really strong ministry to children. And I could go on and list other things as well. I mean, most recently, our, our food bank efforts have uh, you know, just been wildly successful. So are we a, a failure? No, not at all. But when it comes to the objective measurement of first-time decisions for Christ and first-time baptisms, which, according to Matthew 28, 18 through 20, is the business of the church, then this church has largely failed to do the business of the church. So we now face the same decision that all of the men and women that we've previously categorized as failures had to face. Do we just give up or do we try again? I think if you're a basketball fan, then you're thankful that Michael Jordan tried again. If you're not crazy excited about reading by candlelight, then you're probably very happy that Thomas Edison tried again. If you love movies, then you're thankful that John Wayne and Steven Spielberg tried again. And I'm here to tell you right now that there are people in the surrounding neighborhoods who need to know Jesus, and those people are going to be thankful that Harmony Vineyard Church tried again. Now, if you believe, as I do, that a good definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results, then you understand that our trying again is going to involve some change. Because what we're doing now, obviously, is not working. So we are going to make some changes. But before I talk about exactly what is changing, I would like to spend a few moments just telling you how God sort of has orchestrated these changes. <clears throat> and it all came about in two separate conversations with four different people involved. And the first cut was a conversation that I had with Sharon Lewis, one of our board members who I met here one day because she had some things that she wanted to share with me <clears throat> about herself, really, not, not, not about the church necessarily. And... Um, in the course of the conversation we were having, she asked me, had I ever heard of the GROW Network? And I said, no, I don't know what that is. And she said, well, it's, um, it's the result of this vision that this megachurch down in Alabama called Church of the Highlands had. And uh, just to give you a little background, Church of the Highlands is in its second decade of existence. It has grown to more than 20,000 active members spread over 11 different locations around the uh, Birmingham, Mobile, general area. And at some point, they had a vision that their purpose was to help 1,000 churches grow to be over 1,000 members. That's their vision. And so uh, 
In order to do that, they established this thing called the GROW Network. And the GROW Network is something that as a church, you, can, you pay a small fee, it was $150 or something like that, to be a part of. And for that fee, they give you access to all of their resources. I mean, their website has got hundreds of things on there that they just kind of openly share with any church. They, every month, do probably 20 to 25 uh, web coaching sessions about the various areas of their ministry that you can um, get online and, and participate in and ask questions about. <clears throat> they do regional coaching um, days at spots around the country, and they do a giant one that's actually down there for a couple of days every year in the summer. And if you want them to, they will actually come to your church and do an assessment, kind of like what John did when he was a church growth consultant. But what really hit me as I started to look around at all of these resources was how formalized everything was. <clears throat> Down to even having manuals that covered almost every job in the church. And so my epiphany moment came as I looked at how ultra-organized they were versus how decidedly less organized we are. The second conversation was one that John Potter had with a guy named Jim Egley. And uh, Jim is on the staff of the Vineyard in Champaign-Urbana. And Jim is the head of their small groups. And uh, Jim has got some impressive credentials. Jim did his doctoral work at Regent University on small groups. And so um, he really got down and dirty with a lot of small groups all over the country to kind of understand, okay, what makes a small group successful? And so, you know, Jim and John talked a lot about this. You know, obviously John kind of runs our small groups here. But it was another comment that Jim made to John and then John subsequently made to me that really got my attention. And evidently, the vineyard overall has been studying what makes church plants successful. You know, what makes one that just kind of takes off versus one that just kind of stalls and kind of stays the same size and never really goes anywhere. <coughs> and what they found was this, that the most successful church plants were those that came out of the largest churches. Now, the reason that's important is because it influences how the church was sort of organized when it was, when it was begun. In other words, the planting pastor really determines what the structure is going to look like or what the, you know, the governmental environment of the church is going to look like because they're coming at it with the mindset of big church, right? <coughs> And see, when I heard that, I thought, you know, that's pretty much right in line with what I was sort of getting from looking at the GROW resources. So the message that I was getting seemed to be this. If you want to become a big church, you 
first have to act like a big church. <clears throat> now, <clears throat> dang on it. I took a Z-Pack this week. I went to the doctor, got the Z-Pack, tried to f clear all this mess up. Well, <clears throat> took the first. If you've ever taken one before, you know that you take two the first day. Um, took the two. Next day, woke up with hives. So I've been enjoying that all week as well. And come to find out, I'm still having this problem on Sunday. So I'm not really sure what we're going to do. But needless to, uh, to say, we will get through it. So persevere, that's it. Go for it.
look at us and say, I want what they have. And Lord, protect our children and these gener this generation, this young generation that is being swayed by the world. Lord God, please protect them. We thank you what you have done for what you have done, Lord God. And Lord, please continue to do more. Lord, let us testify for you so you get the glory. Amen. Thank you. So, I've always been part of smaller churches. And so that's kind of naturally how I have tended to think. Smaller, less formal, less structure, and that sort of, uh, it's that attitude. So, when I came face to face with what I had learned from these two different conversations, the data is obviously pointing in a different direction. And what it says is that Small is as small does. Big is as big does. And so the question that I am now starting to ask over and over again at everything I'm looking at is, is that how a big church would do that? In the structured, the unstructured needs to become structured and the informal needs to become more formal. So what is this going to look like going forward? <clears throat> well, I think there are four areas where you will notice some immediate changes. Um, you may notice some, others you may not, not care so much about or really notice. But um, of the four areas, the first is going to be in the bylaws. The, uh, I took a look. I mean, when I said they put everything out there, they put everything out there. And they put their whole entire uh, document of their bylaws out there. Now what is happening is that our board, our existing board, is currently reviewing the Church of the Highlands bylaws uh, with the goal <clears throat> of actually adopting them as our own and filing a revised set of bylaws. And there's a couple of reasons for this. <clears throat> First of all is they have a fantastic statement on marriage in their bylaws. And if you've been following anything in the media regarding that, you'll know that uh, organizations such as the American Family Association and others have been strongly encouraging churches to put a very strong statement about their definition of marriage in their bylaws, uh, even to the point of stating that marriage is between one biological man and one biological woman. Like that, just to avoid that little pothole, should you know that anything like that ever come up. <clears throat> they are definitely more comprehensive and more detailed than what we have, but you would expect that because they were kind of formulated for a bigger church. Uh, <clears throat> it also modifies our, it will modify our governmental structure a little bit. Now, what they have is similar in a lot of respects, and so it just kind of expands on that and um, gets to a place that I really like. And so... Uh, that's kind of what we're looking at now, and then hopefully within a month or so, we'll be able to um, sort of formally adopt those as ours. Number two, and this is where the biggest change is going to take place. In this area of church membership and getting involved, <clears throat> we are going to start, and we're going to start next Sunday, um, of doing something called the growth track. Uh, we've been far too lax, and this is my fault, so I can't point to anybody else and, you know, 
put blame somewhere that it's not. Uh, but we've been too lax in regularly having a membership class and sort of an onboarding process to get involved in the ministries of the church. All right? We want to do a much better job of, of not only addressing membership, but then also sort of addressing what are someone's giftings and where would they best plug in. All right? <clears throat> So like I said, beginning next Sunday, we're going to do this thing called the growth track. And I've got, this is the book. Everyone will get a copy of this. And <clears throat> there are, and we're going to, uh, it's a series of four classes. The classes will be on the first, second, third, and fourth Sunday of every month. All right? Every month we will go through this. And whoever, if, you know, we go in and we'll do it in that classroom in the back, which is room 104, that is off and kind of around the corner. <clears throat> and I'm getting that this week. All It'll be all set up for next Sunday so that we can do this. Um, we don't want the classes to go for much more than an hour, if even that. Uh, and then we'll just repeat them. And they'll be, it'll be right after the service. So we're going to shoot to try to have the service over by around 1130. We'll start the class at 1145. And we'll hope to be finished by 1230 or 1245 at the latest. All right. So the point is we want, you know, somebody comes here on a Sunday and goes, man, I love this. I really want to become a member. Well, if it happens to be a first Sunday of the month, they can actually go right in and, and take the class. If not, then they wait only a couple of weeks and they'll be able to uh, start the cycle. So <clears throat> the four classes are these. The first uh, one is called Church 101. And what it will do is essentially allow people to become better acquainted with our story, the story of the vineyard, our vision, our values, uh, our creeds, and our, you know, our faith beliefs. And it's going to give people the opportunity at the end of that class to say, I want to be a member and fill out something that will sort of where they agree to the membership covenant that will be in the book. And at that point, they're a member. All right. <clears throat> the second class, which is going to be held on the second Sunday of each month, is going to be called Essentials 201. And that class will delve into what are the essential tools and the beliefs that produce a more meaningful relationship with Jesus. So we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about Bible study. We're going to talk about giving and serving and all of those kinds of things that are part of a walk with Jesus and how to deepen that and maintain that over time. The third class on the third Sunday is going to be Discovery 301. And in that class, people are going to discover and understand how their personal and spiritual makeup sort of reveals a path to their purpose. And so we're going to use two tests. One is a smaller version of a DISC test. Many of you probably are familiar with DISC. It's a personality profile. Tells you in a lot of respects kind of what your leadership style is. And then we do have as well a, a spiritual gifts test. And so we, we're going to do both of those on the third Sunday. And at the end of that class, someone is going to have a pretty clear idea of sort of what their giftings are and where they're gifted. <clears throat> and then the fourth class on the fourth Sunday is going to be called Team Harmony 401. <clears throat> And in that class, people are going to have the opportunity 
now that they have learned what their giftings are, to figure out, okay, where do I plug in? Which team of all the ones that we're going to have is a, is a place where I can serve and, and sort of fulfill my purpose in the body of Christ? Now, there is a kicker with this. I am requesting that everyone in the church go through these classes. Uh, I think it's important that everyone be on the same page, that everyone understand, you know, kind of what we, you know, what is going on in those classes. So as you may encounter others, you can help explain that. Um, and especially if you desire to lead a ministry team of any type, um, it's not a request, it's a requirement, all right? And uh, specifically, I'm asking for 15 people who would be willing to go through this class starting next Sunday. Now, if you uh, are able to get onto CCB, our uh, church website, you can, if you go under the forms tab that's right there on the homepage when you come in, you're going to see signups for 101, 201, 301, and 401. So you can go ahead and just sign up. All you got to do is give us your name, address. If, if you're logged in, um, it fills all that in for you because it knows who you are. And then you just click submit and you're in. Um, but if you don't have access to that but would still like to be a part of this, let me know. I will take care of registering you. You can call me. You can text me. You can email me. You can grab me as I'm leaving here today and say, hey, I really want to do that. Um, would you please sign me up? And we'll take care of that. So what I'm looking for, or if you've never been through membership with us, I would really enjoy having you in the class. If you have and are now taking it over, what I'm really looking for you to do, as well as the new folks, is to give us some feedback. It's the first time we're going to be through all this as a church, and so I'm not expecting that it's going to be perfect, right? So we're going to learn from those areas and deficiencies that may pop out during the class. And it's like, hey, you know, you really could talk more about this. You could talk less about that. We want to hear, you know, more about that and so forth. So um, like I said, uh, and we're going to limit it to 15, which is about, uh, it's a good size for that room. John and I check the chairs and you can get 15 in there pretty comfortably uh, in a classroom kind of setting. All right. So... <clears throat> So that was number two. Number three area is in small groups. Now John's going to talk more about this in the coming weeks, but I'm just going to give you a little bit of a, uh, a taste of what's coming so that uh, you at least know uh, this is on the, on the way. And the reason we're changing this is really twofold. The first reason is that we hope that it will encourage more people in our existing congregation to participate. And the second reason is we hope that the format change is going to make it easier for someone in a group to invite a friend to come with them to be part of the group. <coughs> so for that reason, they are going to be what are called free market groups. Now this is a term that's kind of been popularized in the church community. But all that really means is that it... <coughs> is that a small group can form around uh, someone's passions or their interests, okay? 
So for example, <clears throat> if we had somebody in the church who was passionate about wine, <laughs> just saying, um, <coughs> and they prayed about this and felt like they wanted to lead a group that had something to do with wine. You know, maybe how to choose wine, you know, the, what are the different kinds, you know, whatever, just sort of a, a thing like that. That would be fine. But we would make sure that they go through small group training, leader training, and that there has got to be a spiritual component to the group. So in other words, there's got to be a time of prayer, maybe the sharing of a devotion, some aspect of it um, that draws people. And the whole point of this is that we want these groups to focus on relationships. Okay, that's the important part, is that they really focus on relationships. Um, anybody really that felt, uh, that has a felt need, and it could be parenting, it could be divorce recovery, um, or some kind of a common interest. It could be a dining club, goes out to dinner, you know, every week, or it could be a study of the book of Revelation. Anything like that is possible. And so if there is something that you're really passionate about, that you would love, you know, leading a group, that's what we're looking for. Um, and we'll teach you everything else that you need to know. If you say, well, I'm not really a leader, hey, we're going to take care of that. We've got a training course, that, uh, and this is where John's going to talk more about it. Now, we're not going to start this until 2016, all right, because we need a little lead time to kind of get this, all these things in place. <clears throat> the other thing about these groups is that they are going to be semester-based. So we will have, if we start in 2016, we will have a semester that runs 13 weeks, roughly the end of January to the end of April. We'll then take a month off. We'll have a short semester of six weeks that'll go from through June and half of July. We'll take about six weeks off. And then a fall semester that'll run from early September to early December. And then the longest break will then occur over the Christmas holidays, which I think people kind of generally need. Number one, leading up to Christmas, and then the recovery aspect on the other side of the holiday. So that are, uh, those are the uh, kind of what's going to happen. We, new people, if somebody new comes into the church, we're going to allow new people to join the groups really at any point, unless the group kind of forbids that. And I mean, that's a group by group thing. It may be that if you're doing a particular group, the material that you cover in the first three weeks are critical to the last half. And so someone coming in wouldn't really work. I don't know there's going to be a lot of that. You know, I think most of it, you know, people could probably jump into. But the whole point here is that we've got set points in the calendar where somebody new can jump into a group. You know, there's those three uh, formal periods, and then if somebody comes in and says, gosh, you know, I'd love to be part of that parenting group, all right, you know, we'll, you know, you, as long as it's okay with the group leader, they can jump right on in. 
And again, the whole focus of this is on building relationships. Now, there's a, there's a startling statement that I'm going to make that's going to bother a couple of you, um, but I hope you will stick with me and let me explain what I mean by it. We do not want these groups to be Bible studies. We want them to be small groups that have as one of their topics a study of the Bible. Now, you may say, well, what's the difference? Well, there's a very clear difference, I think, and that is that a small group that studies the Bible is focused on being a small group first and on building relationships, right? It's okay to study the Bible. We're not saying don't do that. But typically, a Bible study is more focused on the Bible study and not on the people in it. That's the difference, okay? So any you, you can, if you want to have a group and there's a book of the Bible that you want to study and you'd like to have others join you, that's great. Understand, though, that what we're really trying to do is, is build the relationships amongst all the people in the church. All right. Yes, sir. And it seemed like a person could lead a group, a person could be part of one or more groups, mm -hmm. subject to interest and schedule. Mm -hmm. I assume that there will be also a SOCOM year one and two mm -hmm. that will also take place. Yes. Yeah, that will, and John's going to talk about that, but that starts in September. Um, and so that'll continue as it always has um, and isn't really considered a group per se. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> because it's a lot longer commitment. All right, the fourth area is going to be the worship service. Now, nothing really crazy here. Um, there's a couple of things that we may try to do, just a little bit different, but it's not going to look dramatically different from what you see week to week. Uh, as always, we kind of let the Holy Spirit have free reign, and if everything changes one Sunday, then everything changes. That's okay. That'll still be... Um, that'll still be the way we'll operate. So we've talked, we've spent some time now kind of talking about the church and what's going to change with the church. And now I'd sort of like to make this a little bit more personal as I close. To me, one of the most wonderful, glorious, fantastic characteristics of God is not that he's a God of a second chance, but that he is a God of second chances. And that's really good news because most of us mess up our first second chance too. And so one of the amazing facets of God's character is, is his incredible patience with us. <laughs> Psalm 86.15 says, But you, O Lord, are a God merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Micah chapter 7 verse 18 says this, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. The Bible is full of people who've received second chances and third chances and fourth chances. Peter, Jonah, Mark, Samson, David, 
in others. And they stand out to us as trophies of God's grace. And then there's this second chance story that's found at the beginning of the eighth chapter of John's Gospel. Then the Pharisees all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. <clears throat> at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Did you always wonder how they did that? Were they going around looking in people's windows? I don't know. Continuing, in the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin <clears throat> be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Sometimes when we make a mistake in life, it feels so final that you may think it's all over. But see, life isn't like some game in which you only have one chance to win. God will give you a second chance and another, and another. And so if you're here today and, and you think you've screwed up so badly that God wants nothing to do with you, understand that God does not see failure as an end, but as a chance for a new beginning. If you're here today and you have tried to follow Jesus and failed, and tried and failed and tried and failed. God wants to remind you that perseverance is a valuable trait to cultivate. And he says, keep on trying, my son, my daughter. You can do this. If you're here today and your expectations of how you are supposed to live the Christian life has become this condemning inner voice of judgment to you, to your experience and to God, then God wants to remind you that everybody fails at something, even faith. And he is extending grace and strength to you this very moment that you might ignore that inner voice 
and return to him. And finally, if you're here today and you don't know this God of second chances, but you would like to, then here's what I would like you to do. You can take your connection card and find the area on the back that says my decision. It's in the upper right-hand corner. You can check the box that says I am committing my life to Christ or if it's more appropriate, the one that says I am renewing my commitment to Christ. Now I would like uh, for the worship team to come back up. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. And if you checked one of those boxes, then I want you to hold it up after, we, after everyone has closed their eyes. Now, it may just simply be that you hold it like this. You don't have, if you're uncomfortable sticking it way up in the air, that's okay. Just somewhere where I could see it. That's just in front of you so I can see who's, who's with me in this. And so as, as they play... I'll, I would like to pray with you and to lead you in, in either making that commitment for the first time or renewing it. And uh, if it's a first time, then I want you to make sure that your, your name and address is on the card because um, we would really like to send you a gift that would help you um, in, in keeping that commitment and in sort of walking out this thing that we call Christianity. And I remind you that as a church, we offer a, uh, a no-hassle guarantee when it comes to connection cards. We're not going to show up at your house. We're not going to call you out of the blue. Because we might send you a few emails, but that's pretty much it, just to stay in touch with you. But we're not going to bother you or visit you unless you request that. All right? So close your eyes. Um, and if you have a card and you want to do that, then just lift it up. All right. Now let's pray. And you can just pray silently as I pray. Dear Father, I now believe that Jesus Christ is your only begotten Son. That he came down to our earth in the flesh and died on the cross to take away all of my sins and the sins of the world. I believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the third day to give all of us eternal life. Lord Jesus, I now confess to you all of the wrong and sinful things that I have ever done in my life. I ask that you please forgive me and wash away all of my sins by the blood that you have shed for me on the cross. I am now ready to accept or to recommit you as my Lord and Savior. I now ask that you come for the first time or once again into my life and live with me for all eternity. Father, 
Jesus, I now believe that I am truly saved and born again. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. So like I said, if you would please put those in the box um, at the back. And if it's a first-time decision, we would love to send you a gift that would help.